Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. I'm your choice, days of bowl with my TV history. The best college games you'll ever see. There's nothing else like bowl week, the Yuletide fantasy. Tailbacks are sweeping, quarterbacks are throwing. Coaches are bowling, head coaches screaming. Fourth down and long. Three wise men, two overtime. A fan's football feast. It's the best week on TV. Capital One Bowl Week. And the kick is blocked. The college football world stunned. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the college football bowl betting preview part two. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We have seven games we'll cover in this preview all the way through Christmas on Saturday, December 25th, which is the Camellia Bowl, I believe, between Ball State and Georgia State. So we'll cover seven bowls here, and then we'll obviously have another bowl betting preview for the next set of bowl games, and then a fourth for the games through New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And then we'll have a live show. Connor will be in Vegas for the national championship. But all of your bowls will be covered through Christmas on this episode. Appreciate you listening as always. Colin, what's going on? Things haven't changed, even though the coach that will not be named has left town. Louisiana is still dipping into my pockets and taking money out of my out of my wallet. Scared money don't make money, you know. Yeah, I had an awful Friday. Um, saw the bowl trolls came out. That's always going to happen. Yeah, yeah, Toledo, yeah. Toledo just no-showed. I mean, if you look, these first couple bowls, and we talked about it, and I thought Toledo would care, but they didn't. And they, they completely no-showed. I probably should have – I could have potentially middle myself, but I probably should have bet middle Tennessee for the second half, basically just on what I, what I saw in the first half. A lot of times these teams, you can tell on the sidelines, you can tell with emotion at their big plays – also, like the false starts, procedural penalties, I think they signal like a lack of focus. You get dumb personal fouls. Good call on Coastal, the team total, because I faded Northern Illinois again uh, to no avail. But uh, at least that that got home for us. And then I got teased at the end with a potential belt ball play. But uh, the Coastal guy decided to tackle his own player, even though yes. the game was nowhere close to over. And Northern Illinois ends up getting the ball back. 
and gets all the way down to the goal line. And then the refs completely boxed the end of the game. And then all of a sudden everyone was just like, all right, cool. And they were hugging because it's an exhibition game, but the Mac issued a statement saying like, this is messed up, but I don't think that was, that was wild. And Saturday was very good for me. UAB, Liberty, UTEP, Western Kentucky. I do got to give you shit about back in Chase Bryce yeah, yeah. Um, over Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi. It's time to move on because who cares about what happened? We need to find winners for the remaining bowls. So you have seven to get to. All right, let's start on Tuesday, December 21st with the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. 3.30 Eastern on ESPN. You got to love it. Another weekday afternoon bowl game between Kent State and Wyoming. Wyoming is a three-point favorite here over under 57. This is what I like to refer to as the turtle versus the hair bowl. Right? Kent State wants to flash fast, go as fast as possible, their top five in adjusted pace. Wyoming wants to play a lot slower, 93rd in adjusted pace. The hair usually wins out, the slower team, but that's in the fable about life. Will that happen here in this bowl game? Craig Bowl, by the way, two and one in bowls. He won the last two in 2018 and 2019. Kent State got their first ever program bowl win back in 2019 when they won 51-41 over another Mountain West team, Utah State. It is worth noting that Wyoming does have familiarity with this venue, right? They play in the Mountain West. They play in Boise State. Some elevation in Boise State as well. Wyoming is familiar with elevation. So I'm, I'm also – I would assume that you'd have more of a home contingent of Wyoming fans and Kent State fans here. Um, but I, I, and I'm not sure you're going to get huge crowds for some of these weekday bold games early on, as we've seen. And, you know, where these two teams are similar, they both want to run the ball. They're both top 25 in rush attempts per game. However, Kent wants to play super fast and Wyoming wants to play slow, as I said. So here's the question. I think that number one, when you look at this game, you break down Wyoming's defense. They haven't been as great against the run as they usually are. So can Kent have success running the ball with Crum, their quarterback, you know, Marcus Cooper and, and Xavier Williams, who combined for over 2,500 yards on the ground. I think they can. Wyoming run defense, 100th in line yards, 122nd in stuff rate, 90th in sack rate. They're not even getting to the quarterback. Secondary is their most talented unit. Wyoming does an excellent job of preventing explosives across the board. So that's something to keep in mind. Your Kent wants to score really fast. But I think Kent will have some success running it. Their offensive line's been good in that department. But it'll be weakness on weakness when Wyoming has the ball. Wyoming – I mean, Kent State's defense is – what I like to refer to as poverty. There's no good stats, right? They're, they have some talent in the secondary, but it hasn't translated to success. But Wyoming can't pass the ball. They do want to run. They run it on 67% of standard downs, which is top 20 in the nation. Can Kent State just load the box? I mean, they haven't been able to stop anybody on the ground. It's also worth only two bad special teams. Kent State, I talk about all the time, can't kick the ball off. So after they do score, the opposing team starts with really good field position, which has played into some of their overs this year. I'm leading towards Kent State here. This may, for me, I'd make this closer to a coin flip. So getting the three points with, you know, the quarterback that I trust a lot more to make plays might be the difference, but yeah, can Kent State get any stops on the ground? Because in a bowl game, if you could just hand it off and then methodically march up and down the field, that might be all it takes. What do you see here? Yeah, I mean, if you're keeping tabs, the Mac hasn't won a bowl game yet, and the only, you know, only the champions of Northern Illinois have even covered. So now you're going to get a team that, lost the MAC championship in a spread that I think is a bit short. Uh, I mean, we certainly have two different ideologies of how to run an offense. Kent, third fastest in the nation. You talked about it, but they're also number one in the nation in standard down success rate. So they move the chains a ton. But Wyoming's offense is 94th in tempo. You mentioned they're slow. And so who's going to win out on this? Uh, and their offensive ranks, I mean, even though that they like to run the ball more than they like to pass, are still outside the top 40 in their respected run numbers. 
this is a Cowboys team that beat Northern Illinois. Now I know it was week three in September and it was 50 to 43. Sean Chambers was a quarterback. It wasn't Levi Williams, but Northern Illinois posted five rush, rushing touchdowns on this great, uh, you know, Wyoming defense. And, you know, Rocky Lombardi had a pick six. He had another INT that spotted Wyoming field position at the 14. One dry, one play later, they scored a touchdown. So really it was more of Northern Illinois taking themselves out of that Wyoming game than Wyoming beating them. And you look at that final score, like 93 points in a Wyoming game. Uh, you have to ask, is Kent State going to try to run that same plan? So, you know, Wyoming should amass a ton of yards here and a lot of scoring opportunities because you mentioned all those bad things about Kent State outside the top 100 and everything. Most importantly, 115th in defensive finishing drives, 126th in passing down success rate, which means even if they do get Wyoming off schedule, they're going to allow them to convert some third downs. Uh, I think the question is whether this is a shootout, right? The number on the side, I make four and a half. So a little bit of a lean on Wyoming, not enough for me to like throw some money over the counter and be like, oh, this, I feel confident about this. But, you know, Wyoming having a linebacker, Chad Muma, elect to play this game, top tackler, is, it was really important. And this Wyoming defense, Here's what bothers me. They just allowed 490 yards in a loss to Hawaii with a roster full of players that hated their head coach at home. Hawaii left the island and went to like what over 5,000 feet of elevation and put up 490 yards. So, you know, Wyoming's not that great against the rush and they won't take the ball away from flash fast. They're 115th in havoc. Uh, but, you know, they are top 25 in defensive finishing drives, which, which puts a little tinker into what I want to do. I want the over on this game. I, I, I know Wyoming's slow, but the fact but they're going to have good field position. So you have to remember that. So, like, even though they're slow, if they can State scores, they can't kick it off. Um, so then teams, so, you know, starting at like the 35, 40, 45, which is what teams do against them, that, you know, that takes away two first downs and like three to four minutes that would have came off the clock for a team like Wyoming to get there. So that's yeah. an important part of this. Well, I, I projected at 58, so there's nothing in the number that says that, you know, and 59 is key. So when you're out there doing your shopping and you're listening to this, there are a couple of sub-59s out there, but one sharp shop I'm looking at is 59 and a half. So I better hop on this by the end of the podcast tonight. But uh, that I, I, for me, that I go back to the Northern Illinois game and the fact there was 93 points or the fact that Hawaii just came in last game and put up 490 yards, I think I'm going to go over here. Yeah, I would lean over to, and, and as I mentioned before, Wyoming did play at Boise State, I think, like a, a month ago. Um, so there's some familiarity here. From a motivational aspect, I don't know. I could see the argument for why both would be flat. So I don't think there's a motivational edge here. Like Kent State was going for their first MAC conference championship. They were, you know, favored in that game, and they lost it. Like, are they deflated after that? Or are they excited to go to a bowl? They already got their first program bowl win. I'm not sure where they're at mentally. But Wyoming, you know, they finished 6-6, six and six, but they get blown out in their home finale. Are they that excited to go play again in Boise to face a MAC team? I don't know. So I don't think that there's a clear case for either one. But I wouldn't be shocked if one of these teams came out a little flat. I just – you're flipping a coin to just try and determine that. So from motivational – angle I don't see anything I think I'm going to end up taking the three points here just because this Wyoming defense they've had some bizarre results I mean going to Utah State and winning by you know 44 to 17 then they come home and then lose to Hawaii but I just ultimately at the end of the day you would trust Crum a lot more at quarterback than I do Levi Williams it's just the Kent State Rundy that scares me but getting that field goal in my back pocket again where two teams neither have been good in special teams and Kent State's been really bad in that department but so, so is Wyoming so that you know advantage that a opponents usually have over Kent State doesn't really exist here 
All right, let's move on. Make sure you check out the Action Network app, by the way, to see what we do end up playing. Let's move on to our second bowl game here. And that is on Tuesday as well. Tuesday night, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. We have the Frisco Bowl between 11-2 San Diego State and 12-1 UTSA. UTSA was a favorite here. This line has since since flipped, and they are now a a two-and-a-half-point dog. Part of that, I would imagine, is Sincere McCormick, their star running back, has been announced that he will not play. Over-under here is 49 in Frisco, Texas. UTSA, by the way, has never won a bowl. They lost in 2016 and in 2020. San Diego State, meanwhile, is 9-9 to in bowl games. They didn't have one last year. They won their last appearance in 2019. So McCormick's obviously one of the storylines going into this game. But if you look at some of the advanced metrics, UTSA has actually been a little better passing the ball than they have running, which has been which was a surprise coming into the year. But their passing game has been a lot better than I thought it might be. So and you can't really run on San Diego State. Like no one can run on San Diego State and that defense, which has – I mean, their defensive line is incredible – Tavai gives up nothing in the middle, just eats blockers. You can't run on them at all. The question is, can UTSA have success through the air against San Diego State and a secondary that lost three pros last year, has talent, got to play a very easy schedule, and then had games where you said, oh, look, they're vulnerable, right? The Fresno State game, secondary kind of got picked apart. Nevada did some things through the air, and they were playing without Cole Turner, their star tight end. And then Utah State in the conference championship game really tore through them. So can UTSA have success with the air? On the other side of the ball, UTSA, we've talked about it. Their weaknesses in their secondary. Can this San Diego State offense, which has just been horrifying, they just don't have a lot of talent on the outside, take advantage? That's the handicap, in my opinion. What are you seeing here? Yeah, it was kind of a delayed move on that number because the Sincere McCormick yeah. was out for a while and then it flipped yeah. from one and a half to two. I, I, I didn't understand why, what the delay, and I've been on a mad search the last 24 hours to figure out why this took so long. Um, no, to be fair, it's not a huge move, right? You're not going right. through any key numbers, but still, it's three, three and a half points it's moved. Well, for San Diego State and the way their games have gone this year, you need every point. No, that's, you get. That's, uh, that's a huge it, move in the San Diego State game. If you're into trends, UTSA is five and one to the over away from home. They're five and one against the spread away from home. So they're very comfortable being outside of the Alamo Dome. But starting with San Diego State, I mean, they were missing up to 20 players with COVID for the Mountain West Championship game and uh, where they just got routed by Utah State. And I'm not really sure how much stock I put into that if they would have had their 20 players, considering the Aggies are just, you know, blowing everybody away, including Oregon State. So I'm not sure if it would have made a difference if they had, you know, COVID uh, problems or not. Yeah, they're missing a ton of tight ends, and it's an offense that relies on a lot of tight ends. And now Lucas Johnson is actually on the injury report is questionable. I think he's available to play, but it'll be we'll talk about him and Brookshire here. Uh, But you know, UTC has survived the late Bailey Zappi run in the Conference USA Championship. Uh, You know, if you would have put another five minutes on that game clock, or if you to you know turn those field goals into actual. Uh, shots at the end zone or the snapping mistakes away from the Hilltoppers, they probably would be champions of Conference USA. Uh, you know, like you said, the big news is Sincere McCormick opting out of the NFL draft. You're losing a guy that has 3,900 career yards, 146 missed tackles uh, in his career as a roadrunner. I don't know if UTSA is going to lean on Brennan Brady and BJ Daniels. BJ Daniels has uh, been out for the last couple of games. 
Brandon Brady, there's no explosiveness there whatsoever. Uh, they've combined for only 400 yards on 82 rushing attempts this season. So is UTSA going to maintain this rush rate that they've had now that McCormick is not there? Or is this going to be the Frank Harris arms and legs show, which I think it is. And the handicap this game, if you're UTSA, you're going to do what Utah State did. And that is you're going to throw short to medium routes. They didn't test the secondary once because they hit the linebacker unit. They hit right over the middle of where the defensive line is, and they sliced them up with crossovers all day. Uh, so when you look into Frank Harris's advanced stats, and I was just amazed by this. If you look at all of his passing grids beyond 20, beyond 10, behind the line of scrimmage, from zero to nine yards and in between the hash marks, are 39% of Frank Harris's attempts, passing attempts. That's exactly where Utah State sliced up San Diego State. So in my opinion, we're not running much anymore. We're going to come off of this, what, 57% rush rate because we don't have sincere McCormick. Frank Harris has fumbled the ball eight times in the last three games on running attempts. Trailer, Jeff Trailer, head coach Jeff Trailer might just cut him off from running. I could see a game where UTSA is like, we're throwing. It's going to be short throws, but we're throwing. Then the question on San Diego State, is it Jordan Brookshire, Lucas Johnson? The answer seems to be that Brady Hoke is going to play both, try to find the hot hand, who does who looks good going into the game. The Aztecs run more than 60% of snaps, uh, but they get stuffed on 5% more than national average. And, and I love Greg Bell, but there's just a, a you know, I, 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 did, I was a little shocked at how often they are stuffed when that is what they want to do is run the ball. So – you know, I make this game. I did make the game right in line with the market before the sincere McCormick news took it off. I don't think it should be that big of a move. Uh, I also have the game projected at about 51, which is over the posted total right now of 49. I'm a little nervous. You know, I am. I have been for two years taking it over with this San Diego State team. But if UTSA, whose plays per game tempo right now is 34th, is going to go all pass with Frank Harris, limit his running because he's fumbled eight times in the last three games and pull Utah State and hit the crosses over the middle, this game's going to go over because I have seen San Diego State pull up tempo and Jordan Brookshire and, and, and uh, you know, Lucas Johnson just take off from the pocket and start hitting guys all over the place or taking off running. So I'm going to take an over. 49's key. It's not as key as 48. I'm going to take an over 49 in this game. Colin with the case for San Diego State over. As predictable as pie. Sound the cloud noise. Aztec overs. I'm starting to lean towards San Diego State here. I just am having trouble. Like, I just am not a believer in, in UTSA, and you've known that. And, yeah. yes, they beat Western Kentucky, but, I mean, how many fluky plays went their way with the snaps over the head, the muff punt? I mean, I could go on and on. The drop touch, wide open drop touchdown. You know, you lose sincere McCormick, but I don't think that that's a huge loss here. I mean, you're going against a San Diego State defense that's number four in rush success. They are number four in yards per rush. This is a number eight in explosive rush. I mean, you can go on. This is the San Jose defense every year, elite rush defense numbers. So, but then their secondary grades out well, but they, they, their, the competition wasn't great for most of the year. And so I just, I'm having trouble trying to determine, okay, is UTSA going to have success throwing the ball here or not? The other statistical piece that I struggle with, the biggest weakness of the UTSA defense is their explosive pass defense. We've talked about it, right? They give up a lot of explosive pass plays. They're outside the top 100 in explosive pass percentage. They're outside the top 100 in yards per pass allowed. Well, San Diego State, 119th in yards per pass and 126th in explosive pass rate. So are they going to be able to hit their 123rd in EPA per pass? They just can't throw the ball. So are they going to be able to hit some of these explosives? That's the question. Just um, take the over pretty, with me. Come on. Come on. Hit the, take the over with me. Let's do it. I'll uh I'll have to sleep on it. Uh, I think I would have a lot more fun if I 
didn't and then control you. Brett and I control <laughs> you on Twitter. You'll be living but, rent uh, free in my head during the entire yeah. game on Twitter. Yeah, every bowl game is going over. So, that, yeah. so we know that one has no chance. All right, let's move on to Wednesday and talk the Armed Forces Bowl between eight and four Army and six and six Missouri. Missouri is a four-point underdog here, over under 57. This game's at 8 Eastern on ESPN in Fort Worth, Texas. Missouri has lost their last two bowl appearances in 2017 and 2018. Last year, their bowl was canceled. Eli Drinkwitz actually has never coached in a bowl. He was he left before the App State Bowl game, didn't coach them in that bowl, and then last year's was canceled. There are, are some trends out there that do favor – coaches which have a lot more experience coaching bowls and I think that that just speaks to all right over time you learn how to best prepare your team for a bowl keep them focused you know not overwork them not underwork them deal with all the distractions etc etc so Jeff Bunkett the Army head coach obviously has a big experience advantage here coaching in bowls Army six and three in bowls they did lose last year to West Virginia in a really close game they obviously covered and they won their previous four before that and three of them came at this exact bowl game in the armed forces bowl. And I'll talk about it every year. I'm already on army minus three. I like them up to minus four, which is where the line is right now. I would lean under as well, but service academies and bowl games. Motivation is half, half the battle is motivation. You know, that service academies, no matter the place, no matter the time, they're always going to show up. You can always rely on that. And here's the stat to back that up since 1980, since 1980 service academies are 37 and 14 against the spread, 37 and 14. That's 72 and a half percent. And how about teams with a win percentage of over 65%, which Army does have, 24 and four against the spread. I mean, just silly numbers. So we know that, yeah, is Missouri going to show up at six and six? I, I don't know. The, the motivation questions are all on Missouri's side. So you have that working in your favor as well. Tyler Beatty is going to play in the bowl game for Missouri. He's been their star running back. He's been their entire offense. Connor Bays, like he like had he looked pretty good last year at times. He's had an awful year. I don't know if he's still hurt, but as a result, said that there's going to be an open competition at quarterbacks. We, who knows who's going to be back there behind center if they're going to be rotating guys. So motivation check mark for Army potential advantage. And from a matchup perspective, I love it for Army. Ready? I mean, Army's defense, their biggest weakness is defending explosive pass plays. Go back to that Wake Forest game. It just it was just 80 yard touchdown after 80 yard touchdown. They're outside the top 100 in defending pass explosiveness. Well, Missouri's bottom 10 nationally on offense in that department. This is an SEC team without SEC caliber receivers and a quarterback who's struggling. This is a Missouri team that wants to run the ball. That's what they want to do. They want their offense goes as Tyler Beatty goes, and he's been unbelievable. He'll get what do you have against Arkansas? 40 carries. They're just going to feed him. But Army's defense top 20 in rush success rate. That's huge here. So, like, I don't think Missouri can take advantage of the Army, of the Army's def- weaknesses on defense. On the other side of the ball, Missouri's defense, 110th in EPA per rush. Well, we know Army, all that's all they want to do. They had a little improvement for a couple games, and then Arkansas just came out and ran all over them. So this is a bad run day against Army. And, and again, I always speak to this with the motivation, too. The last thing you want to do is go out there and get, you know, low blocked and try to defend the triple option for – four quarters in an exhibition game. So maybe that speaks to some of the service academy numbers as well. But good matchup for the Army rush offense. And then the Army defense, they excel at defending the run, and that's all Missouri wants to do, and they can't take advantage over top of this Army secondary. So uh, I really like Army for motivation reasons and for the matchup factors on the field. What do you see here? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not a trends guy, but this is another one that points to Army. Uh, four and one against the spread away from home this year. Missouri covered just once away from home. They barely covered any games this year. Listen, the handicap is pretty easy. This is one of the easiest handicaps. One of the easiest bets I made was Army minus three, and I think at minus four you can still play them. I would probably start pausing at four and a half. Uh, but there's no other handicap than what Army does on offense in the rushing game and in scoring opportunities. The Black Knights are second in rushing success rate. They're second in offensive finishing drives. You flip that around on Missouri, you're looking at 121st defensively in finishing drives and 116th in defensive rushing success rate. Army is going to run the triple option down their throat, and once they get past the 40-yard line, it's going to turn into six points. Is that eight possessions or is that 12 possessions? That's really the big question here. Uh, you know, And I think if you say, well, this is an SEC school and this is an SEC defense and you can't count those numbers because Missouri went up against teams like Georgia – I will remind everybody that Army went eight for 16 on third and fourth down on attempts against a loaded Wisconsin rush defense. Like they moved the ball on Wisconsin. I know it was just a 3.6 yard average, but that's still better than a lot of teams in the, in the, in the big 10 did. I just don't see how Army's not scoring on all their possessions. And I think the big question here is, are they having eight possessions? Are they milk and clock and getting as low as seven possessions? Or are they getting up to 12 uh, and I think that really comes down to how fast Missouri is going to play. Nothing in their number there. They're 58th in pace, so nothing uh, too fast or too slow. Uh, the questions for me all are on the Missouri side, especially the Missouri offense. All three quarterbacks, Connor Bazelak, Tyler Macon, Brady Cook, they're all in competition right now just to have playing time in this game. We don't know who's going to start. We don't know how much playing time everyone's going to get. If you're not comfortable with taking Army over three in the market that's at four, I still think you're good at four. But if you're not comfortable with that, take the Army team total over. Because I can't see one possession not ending up in some sort of points. And these guys are going to score. I mean, considering the finishing drives aspect, the biggest differential of any bowl game, Army should get a touchdown every time. I just think it's really a question whether you get eight to 12 possessions. Yeah, completely agree. This is just Army. Yeah. I go back to Houston, right? This Armed Forces Bowl a couple of years ago against Houston, Army had 10 possessions. They scored 70 points. Do the math. Still the record by the way, for most points in a bowl game by a service academy team, no less that had uh, 10, only 10 possessions. All right, let's move on to our next bowl game. And to do so, we have to go to Thursday, December 23rd for the Frisco football classic. So there's, there's the Frisco bowl, which is, we just talked about that's on Tuesday. Then you have the Frisco football classic. This has never been played before. Between Miami, Ohio, and North Texas, Miami, Ohio is a three-point favorite here, over under 54-and-a-half. This game will be played 3.30 Eastern on ESPN Thursday afternoon at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. One of these two coaches has to win a bowl game. Seth Luttrell, 0-4 in bowls. Chuck Martin, 0-2 in bowls. Something has to give. Can't have a tie in college football. It is worth mentioning this game is at Frisco, Texas. That's about a half-hour drive from the North Texas campus in Denton. So there's uh, definitely a home field regional advantage here for North Texas. They're going to have more fans here. I, I mean, I don't know how big is the North Texas fan base. I'm, I'm not sure, but I can't imagine many Miami of Ohio fans are going down to Frisco for this game. And they have to obviously travel a lot more, which is worth noting. I personally played the over 54 here. I like it up to 54 and a half, which is where it's at currently. This Miami of Ohio offense, if you look at some of their numbers, they're a little underwhelming, but that's because they haven't had the same quarterback all year. Gabbert, has been dealing with some injuries, and he's back now. And their offense is just on a different level when he's in the game compared to A.J. Meyer. If you look at a lot of the, the, the splits, it's just night and day. So he's back. They have some really good receivers. 
that I think could take advantage of a North Texas defense that is vulnerable in the secondary. And this Miami of Ohio defense has some holes as well that I think North Texas can take advantage of. So I think that there's some value in over 54. Let me check the updated weather in Frisco because Frisco, Texas does get some wind sometime. Yeah, 15 miles an hour. So it's something that, you know, I mean, once you're over 15, that's when I start to say, okay, maybe this can be a factor. So right now it's projected at 15. It's only month, it's Sunday night we're recording this, so we'll get more of a clarity. But that's something to keep in mind as well, which obviously wouldn't help the over. But I played the over here. Curious to get your thoughts on breaking this one down. Yeah, this is a game that I projected Miami minus three. The market's right in line with minus three. So, there, I mean, there has not been anything put on the app by me. I also project the total at 54, and we're at 54 and a half. And there, North Texas got here by just going berserk at the end of the season. Uh, five straight against the spread and straight up wins to end the season. Uh, and to get Miami, to six and six, to get yeah. the ball eligible. So you would think that they would care here. There's a, big, would, a lot of trends that support these teams that go on a late run, win their last game to get to six wins. You would think they care. And then I remember that Seth Luttrell is one and three against the spread and bowls. And I go back to when he flirted with the Kansas State job, didn't take it, showed up in the bowl game against Utah State, a Utah State team that was missing everybody, including Jordan Love and a coach. And Utah State blew them out of the water. Uh, so I get a little nervous about Seth Luttrell's uh, preparations for a bowl game. Uh, and, and so I, that makes me a little bit nervous. But when you turn around and look, North Texas has gone on this run because they've been so heavy on the rush. Long gone are the days of them, you know, slinging it around uh, on every single play and standard downs, throwing no matter the down and distance. Now it's a rushing attack from North Texas. It's done all this damage in conference play. But Miami of Ohio is 30th in defensive stuff rate. I think that they're going to be able to handle uh, what, my, what North Texas is going to try to do on the ground. And, you know, they have a pretty decent pass rush. North Texas is uh, not very highly ranked uh, in pass blocking. They're 113th offensively in finishing drives. And a lot of this is just two different seasons, right? But if you look at North Texas' schedule over, like, the last six games, it was pretty much the cake of Conference USA. So, um you know, I, I'm probably going to end up playing Miami of Ohio here. I think there's going to be a surge in people backing North Texas. The one thing that they've done is run the ball. Miami of Ohio can stop that. I'm not comfortable backing MAC teams. I can tell you this. Like, if we're going on and Kent gets blown out, that, that'll be like no MAC team wins, only one cover by Northern Illinois. I'm going to be pretty hesitant to take Miami of Ohio. But the number is right at three. If it comes off any more than that, then there is value on Miami of Ohio. So uh, I'm going to be watching this one. I would say check the app. Um Numbers in line, but I just think there's going to be a surge in North Texas money because of what they did over the final month, uh, six weeks of the season. Yeah, I, but I actually see, I actually see some vulnerability in the Miami Ohio run defense, and you're right that that's what North Texas has been doing well lately. And I mean, they're 96th Miami Ohio in EPA per rush on defense, so I actually think that North Texas can have some success running the ball. The North Texas North Texas can't really throw the ball, but. They're going to be running it, I think, well, and they go fast. North Texas wants that. That's one thing they still do. They're top 10 in adjusted pace. Miami Ohio is slightly above average in that aspect. So you're going to get some pace in this game. And Miami Ohio tends to play even a little faster when Gabbert, who's back at quarterback now, is in there. Uh, Miami Ohio has also had some injuries at linebacker. So I think North Texas can move the ball. And I think Miami Ohio, for sure, with Gabbert back there slinging it around. The only thing I would worry about with your Miami Ohio play, yes, Mac team, Every data point that comes in on some of these conferences, you can get more confident about saying, all right, maybe this conference as a whole was really bad this year. So that's one concern. The other is the motivation, right? So North Texas gets the six wins. They got a big run at the end of the year. They're playing near home in Texas. You would think that they 
should care. My Ohio, right, that they're six and six too, but they lost their last game of the year by one on a two point conversion against Kent State with a chance to go to the conference championship. So, you know, a month later, going down to Frisco, Texas for a Thursday afternoon game against North Texas, are they excited about it? I don't know. That's that's part it's of the classic. It's a classic bowl game, though. The classic, the first, the inaugural Frisco classic. All right. Um, good stuff there. And by the way, I think so far when we go into our next bowl preview, that's really when we're going to get into a lot of, you know, who's out, who opted out, who's moving in coaching so far in these bowl games that we've talked about so far. It's really just sincere McCormick is out. Chad Muma, the Wyoming linebacker, he decided to play. That's it so far. We're going to be getting into them a lot more with some of the power conference teams who have more NFL prospects and have seen more coaching changes. Or if you're a Razorback fan and your favorite defensive end decides to fall asleep at a McDonald's and uh, get a DUI and now he declares for the NFL draft, that kind of stuff happens at the power five uh, games, right? All right, let's move on to our next bowl. And this is going to be Thursday night, December 23rd in the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa, Florida, between UCF and Florida. Florida is a six and a half point favorite over under 55 and a half. This is a game I mentioned we're going to be talking about a lot of opt-outs and, you know, coaching carousel things in our next preview when we're talking about more of the Power Five. Well, this this is one where you have to monitor some stuff. So we're going to talk about that first here. You know, these are obviously, it's like little brother, big brother, UCF in Florida. So does Florida care here? That's one of the main questions I have. Does Florida care about this game? against UCF and maybe it helps that it's UCF and there's kids on Florida. You obviously UCF playing Florida, right? Like they're going to care for this game in Tampa, but UCF star quarterback Dylan Gabriel, he announced he will transfer, but he's already out for the year with an injury. Um, They could see the return of running back Isaiah Bowser has been sidelined since early November. Uh, But the more intriguing news is on the other side of the ball of Florida. They have an interim coach, Greg Knox, who's the running backs and special teams coach as they transition from the recently fired Dan Mullen to the recently hired Billy Napier or the unnamed one. Did any of the Florida defenders opt out yet? I don't. I haven't seen anything on Elam, who some project as a first or second round draft pick, their cornerback. I will update the file on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. I got to go through them tonight. So make sure you check that out. I'll see who is out. But it is worth noting that Jacob Copeland, one of their best receivers, he's going to opt out. And linebacker Mama Diabete, he's also entering the transfer portal, as is. Anthony Richardson, he will miss as well due to minor knee surgery. Emory Jones announced he will enter the transfer portal, but he plans to play in this bowl game. So there's a lot to sort out with Florida. I think the key to this is that this number is cheap, in my opinion, but I think it's pricing in some of this motivation, which you see. And does Florida ultimately care here? This is probably the most difficult bowl for me to cap out of all of them. In my confidence pools, I always put this one at one. Um, especially in the against the spread. I have, as of right now, maybe some things will pop up, and I'm continu- always looking into these games. I just have nothing here right now as far as uh, a strong take. What do you got? Yeah, I don't have a strong take on this one either, but I will go over you know some of the key things that you should know. Florida never covered a game away from home. They didn't cover a game in their last five uh, last five of the year. Now, we, we know what was going on with the toxicity of uh, you know Dan Mullen being around, but – you know, I go back to some of the injuries and the opt-outs in this game. The Central Florida money keeps coming in, getting this thing under a touchdown. You know, and this is something that I have at five and a half. So there's, you know, a reason why I haven't touched this yet. But for UCF, we know Dylan Gabriel has been gone for a while. He's at UCLA, the big announcement. So it's the Mikey Keene era, or at least Mikey Keene's chance 
to convince Gus Malzahn and, and, and G.J. Kinney to not go into the portal and look for another quarterback. Mikey Keene finished the season 16-6 to TD to INT ratio, but that's very misleading. He posted more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws, and Mikey Keene hasn't even posted a big-time throw since Week 10 against Tulane. So if you throw out that UConn game, UCF didn't cover their last three games. They scored less than an average of 20 points against South Florida, SMU, and Tulane. So it's tough to back them. Central, you know, Central Florida's strength on defense has come against the pass attack. Teams that post 175 yards or more on the ground beat Central Florida. So in the advanced stats, you know, UCF top 25 in coverage, havoc, and against pass explosiveness. This really is like, can Florida run the ball? If they do, are they going to be able to get up to 200 yards? And they should win. And I think they could do that against this defense because, you know, the strength of the UCF uh, defense is the secondary, 19th in coverage, 23rd in havoc. A lot of that comes, you know, when they get teams into passing downs. So if Florida is able to establish the run, which you would think an offensive line from the University of Florida could push around the defensive line from Central Florida, then every defense that struggled a lot more against the run. Yeah, yeah. Past. So I think you're actually getting an extremely cheap price on Florida, and I really don't expect this number to go back up. I think it's going to keep going down. I see five and a half at a sharp shop in Vegas right now. I think this number is going yeah, to go down. And, yeah, Florida's a big loss for Florida as well. And like they just their run defense numbers are awful. Yeah. They're ninety, and especially look. I mean, they're eighty first in EPA per rush. Now, granted, you're playing in the SEC, but. 95th in explosive rush percentage on defense, UCF top five. So are they, and if you don't show up here and you're, you're just going to, and UCF wants to just sit there and run the ball down their throats and Florida doesn't show up, UCF could win this game easily. I could see if Florida doesn't decide to show up. Both teams aren't actually fast either, which is something to keep in mind, but tough game to handicap here. And I think the market is kind of wrestling too, but we need the status of Isaiah Bowser too. Like he's just been beat up for the last month. No, I, I've checked before the podcast, no word on him. We probably won't get word till the night before that's going to move the market. Also is the status of running back Isaiah Bowser for, for central Florida. Tough game, the handicap. And by the way, we'll also have all of these uh, previous for every bowl out on actionnetwork.com and the action network app. All right, let's move on to our sixth bowl game of the bowl betting preview part two. And that's on Friday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, the Hawaii Bowl between Memphis and Hawaii, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. This game will be played in Honolulu at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. It's no longer where Hawaii used to play. As of right now, Memphis is out to a nine-point favorite. Over-unders down to 56 couple transfer notes here starting quarterback for Hawaii Chevin Cordero he decided the transfer starting running back Dave Hunter decided the transfer Memphis best receiver Calvin Austin he's not playing in the bowl I played the under 57 and a half here I still like it at 56 the Hawaii offense without Hunter and Cordero I mean the backup quarterback has played some this year but the offense has been significantly worse and now you don't have Hunter back there and now Memphis doesn't have one of their best receivers the question for this game, I mean, this this line is now outrageous, but, you know, they, you, do, you do lose your starting quarterback and starting running back, and then there's reports out there. This is this is one of the most difficult balls to cap in this aspect. The reports out there that Memphis – excuse me, that Hawaii's players have lost their passion for football, and they there's just controversy, turmoil within the program with Todd Graham, and that's, I assume, part of the reason why you saw 
Cordero and Hunter entered the transfer portal. But they, you know, the last game of the year, they went to Hawaii and rolled, and they get to play in Hawaii, right? So, like, are, are they showing up here or not? Do they care or not? Is Because if they don't care, they can get blown out. Um, Hawaii does have a losing record. This is 6-16 six and 16 versus a 6-7 and 17. Hawaii finished 6-7 and seven on the year. Memphis going out to Hawaii, uh, you know, they finished 6-6 six and six on the year. I think that they'll, they'll care here. So I think that from a motivational aspect, if Hawaii just says, look, we're not, we don't care preparing for this bowl, F you, Graham, then Memphis is going to roll here. And that's kind of what the market is saying, right? I mean, that's why this number is in part because Hunter and Cordero out, but there's just all these stories surrounding Hawaii. But at what point does the line get too high? And then you have to take a shot with Hawaii. So pretty intriguing bowl game from a motivational and market perspective. What do you see here? I mentioned it as a joke on our BBOC live show uh, yesterday, but it's like this game is like, I don't know, I think one o'clock uh, Hawaii time, island time. I mean, how many people have a have a, a lower 48 flight, uh, a red eye flight back to LAX or DFW, like trying to get the hell off the island after this game, right? The whole entire Memphis team, the players for Hawaii, yeah. Todd Graham's happy to separate himself from this mess. I the, the market is just wild, right? So hit the Memphis minus three, big deal. Um, that doesn't even apply now. This number I had projected, even before everything came out, I had it projected at eight and a half. We've surpassed that. And what's going to happen in the market now is that Memphis is going to take money and continue to take money. And that number is going to stop when the odds makers finally see somebody take a bite on Hawaii and nobody's stepping up to take a bite on Hawaii. So it's really hard to say, you know, where is this number going to stop? I don't have a clue. You would think people that bought minus three on Memphis, like me, would come back and say, well, I think 10. Yeah, yeah, I think Ted's, I think I'm just going to write Memphis and let it go. But I mean, at the same time, this is a huge window. Listen, you're going to get Braden Schlager in at quarterback. He has two big time throws and 107 attempts, nine turnover worthy plays. Uh, the key for the Memphis D is pressure. Four of the five interceptions by Schlager uh, have come in pressured pockets. He does not do well in a crowded pocket whatsoever. And the good news is, after allegations against head coach Todd Graham about verbal abuse and I've lost my passion to play, that really centered around the starters. So the people that I would say that if you're thinking about taking Hawaii as a contrarian play because it's Christmas Eve and you're going to be sipping on scotch and going to midnight mass like I am, uh, you're doing it because the roster that's still there actually wants to be on the Hawaii roster next year. If you don't want to be on the Hawaii roster next year, you're already in the portal, you're already home, or you're out of this game. So at least you could say that about the guys that are still there. When you look at Hawaii, one of the, the biggest defensive loss that they have is corner Cameron Lockridge. Now, he is the highest graded coverage defender for the Rainbow Warriors. So like I said, I don't think I'm going back on playing Memphis, especially when the best cover corner on the Hawaii team is gone. You can bet freshman Seth Hennigan is going to target the new corner in this game. And I know that Calvin Austin III is not in this. And he's dealing with an ankle injury. They said stay at home. Uh, you know, you're not healthy enough to play anyways. And whether you're with us or you've gone somewhere else, just stay at home. So Austin has 121 targets on the season. The next highest is tight end Sean Dykes at 61. And I mean, Memphis is going to win this game. And Hennigan is comfortable with other targets. Wide receivers Javon Ivory and Eddie Lewis, they've been targeted 28 times in third downs. So there's some experience, but to play into your under, which I played the under two, I, I played it for a little bit less at 56 in the app. Calvin also is not going to be there for freshman Seth Hennigan as his hot route, as his one guy to throw to. Uh, so I think that really tends itself to the under a little bit here. Also, I don't know how Hawaii behind Shager, no Cordero, no Hunter. I don't know how they score a point. I don't know how they score. So I like the under. 
as far as the side, I don't know what to tell you because the books are going to take money on Memphis and they're not going to stop until they get somebody to come in and put a penny on Hawaii. So I, I'll take under to the key of 55. 55 is the number you want to stop. Yeah, the one thing that's not in the under's favor is the pace. The pace is going to be fast yeah. in this game. Hawaii is, you know, around 40th in the country in adjusted pace. Memphis is top 10. I think they're 10th or 11th, somewhere around there. So the pace is going to be fast. But Hawaii, as you said, their offense is now depleted. And But the one good thing that both of these defenses do is they don't give up explosive plays. They're both in the top 15 in the country and allow in preventing explosive plays. So which team can have more success driving up and down the field? That might come down to care. And I would assume that Hennigan would get the clear advantage there now that Cordero and Hunter are out of the picture. And if there's like a full-blown revolt and they didn't, no one cares, then Hawaii might lose this game, you know, 42 to nothing. All right, let's move on to our final bowl game. And that's on Christmas Day, the Camellia Bowl. Bowl on Christmas Day, we usually don't get that, right? No. Did we get that? Yeah. Bowl on Christmas Day. Usually it's the NFL's day. And there will be NFL, but there's going to be a bowl as well. So, you know, when the whole Browns team is out for COVID, go ahead and flip on the Camellia Bowl between Ball State and Georgia State, 2.30 Eastern on ESPN. This game will be played in Montgomery, Alabama. So I would think that there's a slight regional, potentially fan edge for Georgia State here. Not sure how many fans from Muncie are heading down to Montgomery, Alabama for a bowl on Christmas Day. Uh, how many, I don't know how many people are going to be at this bowl. Maybe 15. Um, I didn't even think of that Christmas afternoon. Who's going to this bowl? Now, this is going to be an empty bowl game. Um, ball State also won a bowl last year, so it's not like, hey, we got to get to the bowl for see Ball State finally win a bowl game. Let's see. The market on this game currently, Ball State, who finished 6-6, six and six, is a now five-and-a-half-point underdog, total sitting at 50. Georgia State finished at 7-5 on the season, really came on at the end of the year, made a quarterback change. Cornelius Brown, who's been a quarterback, showed a lot of promise last year. He ended up getting benched, and then the offense actually took off. Uh, so Georgia State's playing some of its best football of the year. It's a team I really liked this year coming into the year, kind of disappointed early on in the season, but then really found their footing as the season progressed. What do you see here in the Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day? Well, you got to take the Sun Belt team in Crampton, right? I mean, Georgia State was five and one against the spread away from home. Ball State, five straight unders to end the season. The Panthers, like you said, they ended the season on a tear. And this is a game where whoever establishes the rush is going to win this game. And, and if you look at the advanced stats, that tells me that it's going to be the Panthers. Uh, how hot were they down the stretch? They even beat Coastal Carolina outright. So Georgia State is a team I would keep my eye on in the offseason that may be somebody that will be taking to look in the fun belt next year. Uh, they run on 65% of snaps. They have an offensive rank of top 25 in stuff rate offensively, which means they control the line of scrimmage. And they're also top 25 in standard down success rate. They get they move the chains a lot, a lot of first downs. If there's an area where Ball State struggles on defense, it's early downs. They have a bottom five rank in the nation and success rate on standard downs. So what I just told you is a major like 100 rank discrepancy on what's going to happen when Georgia State has first and 10 or second and seven. We mentioned Ball State and Drew Plitt. I mean, the struggles to get points on the board. I went deep into Plitt's uh, advanced stats, trying to figure out what has happened this season. His NFL rating for the year is 87. Yeah, he just had two consecutive years over 100. He's had a sharp increase in balls batted down. He has tripled his thrown away percentage from 2020. 
The team is near dead last in pass explosiveness. It's just an area that the Georgia State defense struggles in. So if Ball State could have explosive passes, they'd have some success here, but they haven't been doing that at all. So I don't expect that to just show up. The Panthers are going to be methodical. They have two 800-yard backs. Each have posted nine touchdowns, Jameis Williams and Tucker Gregg. Both average over three yards after contact and have combined for 59 missed tackles. I like Georgia State up to seven. I see the sharper shop out in Vegas tick to this. Before you and I hit record, they moved it up to six. So I, I like this all the way up to seven. I'm not sure Ball State shows up. And the way to beat Georgia State is an explosive pass, and Ball State does not have it. Yeah, Plitt really regressed hard, even though he had some of his same receivers and that passing offense really just fell off a cliff. I agree. It's a really good matchup for Georgia State. I think motivational, regional advantages, everything is there. I mean, the Georgia State defense has played really well, and this Ball State defense is uh, just atrocious. I mean, that, what that 123rd in success rate. 125th in standard down success rate. And you're talking about a Georgia State offense that's top 30 in both of those categories. It's a really, really efficient offense that can move the ball. They prefer to do it on the ground. One area that they do lack in is explosiveness. It's not a really explosive offense. And that's the one area that Ball State excels in on defense, right? They take away explosive plays. That's it. Who cares? Georgia State doesn't rely on explosives. So, and then where you attack Georgia State is through explosive passes through the air, and Ball State can't do that. So, from a statistical point of view, and this is this matchup heavily favors Georgia State. Like we said, regional motivational. And there's a really good chance that Ball State lays an egg here on Christmas Day. I'll be on Georgia State in some form or fashion. Uh, I agree with you. That'll wrap it up for the seven bowls through Christmas Day. As I mentioned earlier, we will have part three next. Monday morning, and we'll start with Boston College, East Carolina, and then we will go. I think we'll cover fourteen bowls on that podcast. We'll pack so a we'll, yeah, uh, we'll have to go through some of them fast, a little quicker uh, that we don't love. It's gonna be a lot to get to, so that episode's gonna be absolutely loaded. Uh, before we get out of here, though, let's uh, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Arkansas, Penn State. I want to ask you just your quick thought. We're going to break this game down on our bowl preview part four. But this line is sitting at two. You know, you, you Trey Williams is gone. You have Burks who opted out. We still don't know any status on Penn State players. Mainly Jahan Dotson is who I'm looking out for. And he's just a massive part of their offense, obviously. So what what is your feeling on – where Arkansas is mentally, you don't have to go. I don't want you to go too deep into this, but like if right. this hits three, is Arkansas worth a buy? Is this all right? Let's wait to see what happens with Penn State. Anything that you're monitoring here, people should look out for. Right, I, right. You're like you said, Penn State's going to announce who all's out right before the bowl game, so we can't handicap on that. Uh, Arkansas's lost. But Dotson could come out and just declare. You know, he could tweet something or something. Right, right. And and Arkansas's lost Trey Burks, and now Trey Williams is declared for the draft. He won't be at the game either, but. This doesn't change the core handicap. Penn State lost P.J. Mustafer before the last month of the season, and Illinois put up 300 rushing yards in between the tackles. And then Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State had no issues running the ball in between the tackles. You're going to give this Arkansas offensive line led by center Ricky Stromberg one month to get healthy. You're going to give four running backs and Dominic Johnson, Raheem Sanders. You're going to give these guys – a month to get healthy. Pittman's going to run the ball like crazy in between the tackles. That's why this total once at 48 down to 46 and a half at some places, this is a noon game, a noon Eastern game for a Razorback team, 11 AM on their body clock on January 1st. 
it's going to be a grind. It's going to be ugly. And they're going to run. Sam Pittman's going to run everything in the world in between the two tackles on offense. And I don't think Penn State can stop that. So I expect this number to keep going down despite some of the opt-outs and Trey Williams's and everything else. As long as KJ Jefferson is there, our four running backs are there and our offensive line is there, we'll have success on the Penn State front front seven. Yeah, I mean, if that under, I think, would be just slam dunk, especially if Dotson's out. Like, if you take out Dotson and Burks from the explosive element of this game. Who's KJ going to throw to in passing downs? I mean, KJ has no clue who to throw to. Yeah, and what's Penn, what's Penn State going to do when they need an explosive pass play, right? right? Um, and then it makes Penn State so much easier to defend when you don't have to worry about Dotson out there. All right, uh, we'll have more on that game on our bowl betting preview part four. Uh, for second down, let's talk about another game here that's just got, garnered a lot of interest in the market, and that's Michigan State and Pitt, right? So this is just the who the hell is playing bowl, and there was a lot of speculation on it. The market was assuming, like really pr- it was pricing into this that – Kenny Pickett wasn't going to play, right? The line moved and he didn't announce anything yet. And then he came out and finally announced that he wasn't going to play in the bowl. Michigan State, you know, was a four-point underdog. They're kind of really said it as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. But Kenneth Walker also announced that he's out. But you can't really run against Pitt. Pitt's also missing a corner. Like, what what, what are we doing with this game? The, the Pitt offensive coordinator resigned. This game's a, a mess. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. I don't have a bet on it yet. I wish I would have got some early money on Michigan State. I thought Pickett was going to end up playing, but like all these other quarterbacks are playing um, except him and strong I mean, and that with Western Michigan's out the six and a half point favorite. I can't wait to lose that plus whatever I have, but what are we, what are we doing with this game? Just stay away right now. If you don't have a position, because I'm confused by it. From what I can tell, Peyton Thorne is still the quarterback. You know, Jaden Reed is still a wide receiver for Michigan state and Jalen Naylor is listed as questionable. So there still is the explosive pass aspect that's been there for Michigan State the entire season. You can't run on Pitt anyway, so they were going to go to the air. And if you look at Pat Narduzzi's one and three against the spread in bowls, he's not showed up in bowl games whatsoever. And they lost their offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple. And Pat Narduzzi, by the way, doesn't draw up offensive plays. Watch out for Pat Narduzzi. Well, Narduzzi just wants to run it up the middle. Like, yeah, well, so yeah, I, yeah. I think that was a big And this, this under has come down to 55. I might play yeah. this under. Yeah, I think Michigan State's going to win this game. I mean, they still have the explosive passing attack. They give up explosive plays, but who on Pitt is now executing that, right? No offensive coordinator, no quarterback? I, I don't know. What is – I'm seeing some 57s out here. Yep. Is there 57? Yeah, I'm taking yeah. under 57. And dual and Nardu- This is Nardu- Narduzzi's dream. Come out here and run it up the middle 50 times. All right, we'll have more on that game as well. Before we get out of here, one final order of business, and that's our favorite bet for these seven bowls. Then I'm going to go with Old Reliable, and that's a service academy in the bowl, Army against Missouri. Uh, Look, I think it's a great matchup from an X's and O's perspective. Missouri cannot take advantage of Army secondary. They're bottom 10 in explosive passes. That's just a nightmare. That's where you have to attack this Army defense. And Missouri, they, yes, they're an SEC team, but it's not an SEC caliber passing offense. Bazelik has regressed. The receivers aren't explosive on the outside. On the other side of the ball, Army's you know defense has been really good against the run, and that's what Missouri wants to do. They want to just feed Tyler Beatty. And, I, and Missouri's run defense has also been bad, and that's a nightmare against Army. You know, X's and O's on both sides of the ball favor the Black Knights, Additionally, as I said, this is all reliable. Service academies always show up in bowl games. They are 37 and 14 against the spread since 1980. That's insane, 72.5%. And if the service academy has a winning percentage of 65% or more, 
tried 22 and four against the spread, right around 90%. So give me Army. I know that we'll show up here. And it's a great matchup, I think, on both sides of the ball. How about you? Where are you going for your favorite? On the BBOC live show, I went with Georgia State minus four and a half. That number has moved. I take it to seven, but I will end this podcast by saying I'm going to take a Memphis under, and we want to go all the way to 55, a key number there. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Hawaii is getting any points whatsoever. Their quarterback, their best player on offense, Day Day Hunter, is in the transfer portal. They are gone. Uh, that's going to leave it up to Braden Shager, uh, who has had some terrible passing. He's over 100 passing attempts and nine turnover-worthy plays. Uh, it's really a question whether Hawaii can score any points whatsoever. You flip over to the Memphis side, they're the ones with Seth Hennigan, the freshman quarterback with a huge cannon arm. Uh, but the problem is they've lost their best wide receiver, Calvin Austin, the third there. He does have experience. Hennigan has experience with the other targets on this team, his tight ends, a couple of wide receivers. But at the same time, this is not going to be as explosive of an offense from Memphis, considering they've lost their top offensive players. So, the under is really in a play in a game where both teams just probably wanted to get over so they can get off the Island on Christmas Eve. I'm going to take the under here. like it too. That's my favorite total as well uh, for these seven bowls. Thank you for listening, Colin. Thanks as always for joining me. I do want to give a couple giveaways for those that left reviews. Uh, Cody Martin, 13 listens to our podcast every morning as he walks his one-year-old to school. Looking forward to hearing all of your bowl game updates. Go cats. Yes, sir. Go cats. Cody Martin, 13. Yeah. Just DM me or, or our producer, Matt Mitchell, old boy, Uncle Mitch on Twitter. We'll get you some gear. How about Brock Daddy, 89? I hope, let's hope Brock Purdy decides to play in the bowl. Brady uh, Brees Hall is not. Great podcast. It offers very good insight and analysis. And uh, some say this is the, in the Sam Pittman category when it comes to gambling podcasts, and all others are closer to Chad Morris territory. <laughs> that should speak for itself, Colin. So Brock Daddy, 89, we'll get you stuff. Uh, BWW, 1908. I listen to too many sports betting podcasts. This is my favorite one. Mary stats with information and games analysis, blah, blah, blah. Group of five guys killing it also. Yep. And uh, he said this coming from someone who tailed all of Stucky's conference championship picks. Wouldn't want to go down with any other ship. Well, I'm glad that you were, we could drown together, brother. And uh, Mr. Q7980, the best college sports betting podcast on the planet. I've uh, been listening for years, profited from their picks and became a better, better. We'll get you gear. Make sure you leave a review. I'll, I'm always generous and just hand out gear to everybody. Five-star review. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate you listening. It's time for us to go dig into some more bowls. We'll be back with bowl betting preview. Uh, it's more of a bonanza part three. We'll be out Monday morning, next Monday morning, going through, I think, 14 bowls. And then we'll have the bowl betting preview part four, which will come out later in the week for the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day bowl games. And then, of course, our live show for the College Football National Championship, though. Thanks for listening. Good luck on the bowls this week, and let's have a week. Cheers. Peace out.